This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. President Joe Biden on Monday signed a $1 trillion infrastructure spending bill into law touting it as, quote, the moment America began to win the competition of the 21st century. The bill was dramatically pared down from its original $3 trillion scope, whittled down by corporate and conservative interests. In the end, numerous Senate and House Republicans joined Democrats in voting for the bill. Meanwhile, the Build Back Better bill, which encompasses much of Mr. Biden's agenda and which was eventually delinked from the passage of the infrastructure bill, is on hold. Progressive lawmakers in the House voted no on the infrastructure bill in protest. We turn now to Jennifer Epps Addison, co-executive director at the Center for Popular Democracy. Welcome to the program, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, Sonali. So let's first start with the sort of logic of is something better than nothing. Um, your organization put out a press release pointing out that while the bill is wholly inadequate, there are numerous provisions in it that are heartening. Explain. I think the thing to understand is what we are fighting for day in and day out as people overcame white supremacist threats to vote at record numbers, to elect this president with the most votes in history, that they did that because they believed that they could help build a country where all of us can thrive. And we saw those promises made by the president himself during the campaign, through the transition, um, promises that we were gonna deal with climate change, promises that we were gonna finally recognize the value of our immigrant brothers and sisters in this country, right? That we were gonna allow them to live with dignity through this, these packages. Um, promises about helping our communities heal from COVID to make sure that we all have the health care we need amid a pandemic. And so, yes, we think that, you know, will less people die? Will more people have meaningful work? Will our infrastructure, our bridges, rural broadband, so many of the things that connect our communities to each other be improved through this legislation? The answer is yes. Is the job done? Do we end here? Do we pat ourselves on the back because some people will see more benefit? No, there are far too many people in this country suffering. And until we ease that suffering, the job cannot be done. So what made it in what made it itself in the actual bill and what was cut? Um, you suggested that a lot of the climate provisions, which were considered to be central initially to the bill, mostly didn't make it in. I mean, I think this is what's really important. You know, the Senate itself is a vestige left over from the, you know, desire of the ruling class and in, per in particular the white ruling class to, um, you know, be impediments to change and transformation. And we see that here, right? We see Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema playing outsized parts in this, uh, you know, in this American story. We know that the people of their state, both in Arizona and in West Virginia, are supportive of the president's agenda and of the Build Back Better bill. Um, and by I, people, I mean Democrats and Republicans in those states. And so I think it's really important to understand what's actually happening. And you summed it up right in your introduction. We are fighting against corporate interests who want to continue to profit and extract from our communities. Understand that billionaires made over $1.7 trillion 
in this pandemic. They have been unduly enriched off the pain and suffering of our communities. And we have an opportunity, a historic opportunity to, to you know, address that through this legislation. And so for us, you know, we really want people to keep their eyes on the prize and to understand that passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that was one step in the process, right? But we have a long road to travel and you know, we have a short time to get there. 2022 is around the corner and I am old enough to remember 2010. I'm old enough to remember 2014. I'm old enough to remember backlash midterm elections. There is no guarantee that we will have the ability to govern um, in the way that we do right now. So every moment is precious. Now, I understand that the bill does include $90 billion in investments to public transit. Uh, this, I imagine, would be overseen by Transportation Secretary B Pete Buttigieg. And linked to that is a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions because, of course, the more people that have access to public transit, the fewer cars mm -hmm. that would be on the street and the roads and the highways. Um, so that's a positive sign? Yeah, I think that's a really positive sign. Again, we are still fighting for a Green New Deal. You know, what we know is that we are uh, on the road to catastrophic um, climate change and nothing in this bill is going to get off, get us off that pathway. We need real, you know, to pass the Green New Deal, we need a real plan there. But let me tell you some of the other good things about the bill, because I, 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 again, I believe that it will benefit, be a net benefit to our communities and, and that people fought hard to get us here. It was not a given that we would get a $1 trillion infrastructure bill, still one of the largest in history. Um, and in particular, the care economy and, and caring for our families and our communities is, is really dead center in this bill, thanks to groups like Care in Action and the National Domestic Workers Alliance and, and many others. Um, and, you know, I think things that we're really excited about are child care access. As somebody who struggled um, and was forced to pay thousands of dollars a month to keep my kids in child care while working, I can, I can totally relate to um, the critical importance of this. Um, and yet there's so much more to be done. One of the big important pieces in the, the um, excuse me, in the Build Back Better uh, Act is really focused on um, long-term care and to make, and domestic care, right? We, and, you're and talking about the Build Back Better economy, bill. This is the bill that, that hasn't yet passed, it's on hold. And, and explain that the fact that it was mm -hmm. delinked initially progressive lawmakers were the one who said, yes. we're not going to vote on the infrastructure bill unless you pass the Build Back Better bill yes. as part of a deal. And it was going to be through Senate budget reconciliation. Eventually, basically, Manchin and Cinema had their way and those two bills were delinked. But in order to make up for the progressive or for about eight progressive lawmakers yes. voting no on that bill, Biden made concessions, I understand, to get Republicans on board so that he yeah. could pass it with Republican support. I imagine that further whittled down the bill. So in the end, Manchin, Cinema, and centrist Republicans won out. Yeah, I mean, I would say that all of us won. I, I think that if centrists and others had won out, there would be no bill to begin with, right? There, We saw how they governed under uh, the former president. And so we know that this bill wasn't a given. It really was a fight every step of the way. Um, but I, I want to speak to the Progressive Caucus because actually I think this entire fight does show the growing power and ascension of progressive power in Congress. Um, you know, while much is made of this final vote, it's important to note that 
several times previous, uh, Representative Jayapal um, and the Progressive Caucus slowed down, turned around, got key pieces and provisions back into the bill, um, and were really able to forcefully negotiate so that some of those core pieces, particularly in um, you know healthcare and and um, you know care economy costs remained in the in this infrastructure bill so i think you know we don't have all the power we need um but our power is definitely growing as progressives and i think a strategy that is really about how do we grow the progressive caucus how do we make sure that we are electing more and more people to congress that actually come from our communities um is really important that's why actually just yesterday our um, organization cpd action announced our endorsement of mandela barnes it is a you know way of us playing in Senate races to understand that we shouldn't have to be negotiating for our people's freedom and our people's lives with Democrats, right? We should be in a position that when you when you ran for that office and you promised your communities that you were going to um, move the president's agenda, you should actually be doing that. And so I think there's an important role that we have to play looking at our Senate and understanding that. Um, if we want to have policies that truly benefit all of our communities, we need a few less millionaires, you know, in the Senate. And so the lesson certainly can be that you know, pushing forward as broad an agenda as possible will yield something, uh, other than, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to the standard establishment Democratic uh, approach, which was to try to figure out what Republicans wanted and what they would be mm -hmm. willing to vote for and starting there. Um, you know, and that's certainly not how Republicans do business. Um, so it certainly seems <laughs> as though the Democrats ended up with more than they would have had they used the standard playbook of the centrists in their party. But the Build Back Better bill is on hold. What is going to happen to it? Yeah, I mean, I will tell you that for our communities, it is not on hold. I, you know, we have at the Center for Popular Democracy are blessed to partner with grassroots community organizations in over 200 cities across this country. And they are knocking on doors. They are, you know, talking to folks at their workplaces. They have been going to and from DC over the course of this entire summer, rallying, bird dogging, getting arrested, engaging in acts of civil disobedience. And they are clear that the job is not done. So I think if the administration or, or members of Congress think that they can go on a you know road show and, and just tout the benefits of the infrastructure bill and, and that our communities will be satisfied, I think it's our responsibility to make clear that we do not believe that the job is done and instead of spending time touting what is in this infrastructure bill, the administration needs to be laser focused on passing Build Back Better so that we can go to our communities as trusted messengers, groups like New Georgia Project, Texas Organizing Project, Florida Rising, Detroit Action, groups that are on the ground in these communities every single day and are actually the reason why we saw a surge in voter participation on the Democratic side and that they can say, here's what you participating in your democracy won. Here's what you won. It was the agenda that was promised and it was delivered. And, you know, absent being able to tell our communities that the agenda that this administration promised that would expand freedom for black and brown and indigenous and struggling white communities, working class communities all over this country being delivered, I don't know what else they think that we're going to tout, but, you know, they have to deliver on the promises so we can go back to our communities it with you know a straight face and say that your participation matters so that that's our plan i i think that you know this administration may want to 
let it go away. But for us, we, we know that that's not an option, right? Failure is not an option. For the 11 million immigrants who live in fear and live in exploitation in the shadows in this country, it is not an option for us to go back to the status quo or to think that we have to return to normal as some very elitist members of the Democratic Party would say. Normal was not working for millions and millions of people in this country. The status quo has left too many of our family members dead and that is not acceptable. And it's not what we voted for when we came out in record numbers in 2020. Jennifer, there is talk of the fact that we now have rising inflation as being the reason for Biden's agenda derailing. In fact, in a recent speech just a few days ago, Mr. Biden himself cited the fact that Americans received $1,400 checks as the reason why they you know, had more money to spend when they have more spending money, the cost of goods go up. I mean, he did cite the problems of the supply chain, but uh, some of the right-wing you know, conservative-leaning newspapers took uh, the, the, their takeaway from it was that Biden has conceded that government assistance, that it's the $1,400 checks that's causing inflation. Um, and, you know, you have centrists and liberal Democrats like Larry Summers, who was economic advisor to Barack Obama, saying similar things. Be careful of inflation when you've got people with, you know, who are demanding better jobs and the minimum wage or the, the way, you know, wage, average wage, wages are rising. Uh, you're going to have inflation. I mean, there seems like they're building a case against mm-hmm. the government working for people. I mean... This should not shock us because we hear the sky is falling whenever we talk about regular people um, having enough to live and being able to live in dignity. The sky is always falling, right? Again, go back to the fact that billionaires made $1.7 trillion hand over foot during this pandemic. And, you know, if we want to point to where are the resources going, what are the causes of challenges in our economy, let's start there. Let's start with the exploitative nature of our economy. And, you know, what we see is that workers have more power than we ever realized we had. And so workers are deciding they're declining to take jobs that aren't paying them living wages. They're pushing up wages, not through the acquiescence of billionaires and certainly not through, you know, some uh, financial theoretical system or inflation. We're pushing up wages, workers are pushing up wages because they're fighting back, they're organizing, they're joining unions and they're going on strike. And you know, I think that is ultimately a good thing because what needs to happen fundamentally is a transformation in our economy. We need to move away from the idea that a strong economy is our Wall Street making you know, money or you know, our how many billionaires we have, right? A strong economy should be based on how many people are able to keep a roof over their head. And, how many people can you know keep their bellies full of food how many people can get the medical attention that they need when they need it without worrying about losing everything they have and you know there is a reckoning coming and part of our agenda right part of what we're trying to get democrats to do is to declare firmly and proudly without you know apology that they are the party of the working class they are the party of people who are struggling just to make it, but who are working hard every day trying to figure out how to thrive. That's what we're asking them to do through this. And, and so somebody said the other day, you know, nobody elected Biden to be FDR. And, and, and I'm sitting here going, I expect him to be better. I think I there was a representative Abigail Spanberger. Yes. 
Exactly. And, and, you know, again, I'll say I expect him to be better than FDR. I expect us to learn from the past when we excluded black communities from that new deal, when we mm -hmm. excluded indigenous communities from that new deal, when we exclude, excluded Latinx communities from that new deal. I expect us to learn from it and I expect us to pass a Build Back Better Act that really does fully bring the American promise to all of us, regardless of our race or our zip code or whether or not we have you know, an unusually powerful senator because they get to play the lone middle vote, right? That shouldn't matter. I So, you know, I think that's where so many of us are at and that's where you see the enthusiasm gap widening um, between base voters and the Democratic Party are when they fail to actually deliver on the promises they made. Nobody forced Joe Biden to lay out this agenda, right? He chose, well, I guess I could say we did force him to lay it out. But he did it. And so now he's got to deliver and, and we're here to help him, right? People are, again, getting arrested. People are making thousands of phone calls. People are going door to door in their own neighborhoods. There you know, are thousands of postcards have been sent. Um, you know, petitions have been signed. People who are directly impacted have like shared their stories. The work is happening. The people support this agenda. The president's agenda is popular. The president's actions, right, and, and bowing down to conservatives is not very popular. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us. Give out a website for the Center for Popular Democracy. Absolutely. It's populardemocracy.org and, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at popdemoc and at cpdaction. We'll post links to those from our website. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sonali. Wonderful to talk with you. My guest has been Jennifer Epps Addison, co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. We've been discussing the infrastructure bill that President Biden just signed into law. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.